Join us as we explore the exciting past of the grand state of Texas from the archives of the Texas Collection. Host Dr. Mary Landon Darden will introduce Texas history writers who will tell dramatic and often little-known Texas tales right here on Treasures of the Texas Collection. The historical accounts and documents of Dr. and Mrs. W.B. Bagby provide an in-depth personal look at the challenges, struggles, and triumphs of this legendary couple's foreign mission work in the late 19th and early 20th century. Missionaries to Brazil, the Bagbys left a credible, long-lasting mark on both Brazil and Texas, even present to this day. Petra Carey unearthed their story, and she's here today to share with us about this amazing couple and their devotion to mission work in Brazil. Welcome, Petra. Thank you for having me today, Mary. I know that much of the history of the Bagby family mission work is housed in the Texas Collection. How extensive is that collection? The Texas Collection holds almost 1,600 folders of historical documents relating to the Bagby's family missionary journeys, personal letters, and photos. The details and accounts of their family, their dreams, sorrows, fears, and successes are immense. There are even letters between Mrs. Ann Bagby and Dr. William Bagby prior to their marriage, between Mrs. Bagby and her parents, between the Bagbys and the Foreign Mission Board, and even diaries kept by Ann. All said, it hardly leaves any room for puzzlement on all that the Bagbys endured and achieved, both on and off the mission field. The Bagbys, I know, were, were known as passionate and faithful laborers, and their history is certainly rich as it is extensive. Um, their accomplishments were vast and still felt to this day, correct? In- indeed. <laughs> Consider these numbers. The Bagbys first docked on the coast of Brazil in 1881. Within 10 years, the Bagbys had established 10 churches, performed 434 baptisms, and church membership totaled 419. Those are impressive numbers. (laughs) Yeah, and by the time Dr. Bagby passed away in 1939, Southern Baptists reported 778 churches, 47,114 baptisms, and 68,731 Brazilian members in Brazil's Baptist churches. Wow, that's got to be an all-time record. (laughs) That's an amazing feat. I'm sure it could not have been an easy undertaking for them. Let's start at the beginning and and talk about how did the Bagbys meet? Well, in retrospect, it seems as if Anne and William's paths were destined to cross at some point. Both came from devout Baptist families, and both were actively involved in their respective churches. In 1878, Sunday school work in the Baptist church was a relatively new endeavor, so the Baptists organized a statewide convention in Calvert, Texas, and churches sent their own workers to attend. Anne describes their first encounter in her diary. At the first meeting, I saw in the front of the church a young man whose eyes always met mine, and after the close of the session had the pleasure of an introduction to him. The convention closed all too soon, and as we prepared for our homegoing, I remarked that my only regret was that I had not become acquainted with a certain young minister. What was our surprise when a note was handed to me at the next moment requesting an immediate interview? I must have done all the talking, for I spoke of my desire, even purpose, of becoming a foreign missionary. Sounds like love at first sight, doesn't it? (laughs) It does. Anne goes on to say that shortly after she arrived home, 
She received a letter from William asking to correspond with her. Funny thing is that her dad warned, if you consent to this request, you will receive a, a proposal in less than three months. And sure enough, she did. <laughs> you mentioned that Anne felt her purpose was foreign missions. And can you tell us how that happened? How did that come about? There's a great story to that, too. Anne's father, Dr. John Luther, was a pastor. It was always his desire to be a missionary, and he even applied to do so with the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, but asked to have his name removed as a candidate because he was in poor health, and he doubted his teaching ability. Still, Dr. Luther always had a heart for missions, and his congregation was reminded of his burden often in his sermons. One Sunday during his evening sermon, he proclaimed, God has blessed America, and we must share that blessing with the world. So few dedicate their lives to God on such a high sphere. If you go, remember, we will always be here supporting you in prayer on our knees. He ended with, who will go? Well, when he gave the invitation for those wanting to be saved or desiring to serve as a foreign missionary, only one person came forward, 12-year-old Anne. <laughs> She'd already accepted the call to faith, so he knew the only other reason she could have approached was to answer the call to foreign missions. His exasperated whisper to her was, Child, I didn't mean you. But Anne was named after her mother, who was named after Anne Hasseltine Judson, the wife of Adoniram Judson, a foreign missionary. Knowing her namesake and the history, Anne always felt a connection to foreign mission work. But a seed was placed in her heart that night, and it continued to be cultivated as she grew. And William, did, did he have the same sense or the same feel, same destiny? It's interesting that you ask that, because initially he did not. Again, he grew up in a godly home, and his mother did pray that he would be a minister of the gospel. He was a theology student for a brief time at Waco University, but his desire was to either teach in a school or to pastor in America. And knowing Anne's utmost desire to serve as a missionary, it was interesting to see how their courtship would play out while I was reading the letters they wrote to one another. In one of Anne's letters to William's mother, she wrote, Should our paths lie in different directions, my affection, I am convinced, would never be withdrawn from the object to which it now clings. But things started to fall into place naturally when William started to feel a burden for the Burmese. Hmm. At that point, he wrote to Anne, I am willing to go anywhere except to Africa. <laughs> and throughout correspondences after that point, William assured Anne that she hadn't persuaded him into foreign missions, that it was a personal call he was responding to. Panther, that's a great story. Um, so how soon before they married, and, and where did they go from there? They married in October of 1880 and set sail for Brazil the following January. The voyage lasted more than six weeks, and Anne kept a diary while aboard and wrote faithfully nearly every day. Both suffered from seasickness, but William suffered the most. In one entry on January 26th, Anne wrote... I am willing to undergo any inconvenience to reach my field of labor. We must be willing, leaving all we love, to lay down our lives, if need be, for the cause. And who would shrink at a little sickness? They finally reached Brazil on March 8th. Six weeks of seasickness would seem a little extensive to me. I don't know about you, but... I <laughs> right. Um, where were the Bagvies? Um, were they the first missionaries to Brazil, or were there others that were there before them? Actually, three others attempted to establish a work in Brazil before the Bagbys arrived. 
but their efforts were challenged by health problems and lack of funding. The first effort was made by T.J. Bowen in 1859. His goal was to establish two congregations in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. One would be English-speaking, and the other for those who spoke Yoruba, which was the language of the slaves in the area. But when he did this, the government suspected he was initiating a slave revolt, which resulted in persecution for the church. And by February, his health was so poor he had to return to the States. Mm. Uh, The second effort occurred after the Civil War, when Southern colonists moved to Brazil. Those in Santa Barbara, Brazil, organized to form the first North American Baptist Missionary Church of Brazil under the Reverend Richard Ratcliffe. They requested missionaries from the Foreign Mission Board but funding wasn't available, especially after the Civil War. A minister from Hillsboro, Texas, E.H. Quillen, was willing to serve as a self-supporting missionary. But he had a physical disability, which led him to become dependent on painkillers and ultimately impaired his ability to serve. Before long, the church in Santa Barbara split. So just prior to the Bagby's arrival, a Civil War general named A.T. Hawthorne helped establish a colony in Santa Barbara, Brazil. On a return trip to the United States to recruit more colonists, he had an opportunity to hear the gospel and was converted. So he altered his plans to include recruiting missionaries, too. He attended the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Louisville that year, 1880, to make his appeal. They were so moved by his passion and burden that they appointed him to the Foreign Mission Board, And it was Hawthorne who first contacted Anne about doing mission work in Santa Barbara, Brazil. She was immediately persuaded and then asked him to talk to William as well. So once they reached Brazil, was it everything they'd hoped for, or did they have some (laughs) surprises there? Not entirely. Uh, William's first burden was for Burma, but after speaking with Hawthorne, he settled on Brazil. But he only had a couple of people's accounts to go on. So he wrote down a list of reasons why it would be be better to go to Brazil than Burma. And this is what he shared with Anne. It is just as much in need of a poor gospel. Mm -hmm. His second reason was the vastness of the field, 10 million souls. It is more healthy than Burma. The race is Caucasian. The language is easier acquired. The government is more favorable to evangelical Christians, and especially to Southern people. And his last reason was, it's nearer home. So the pro and con list, huh? Yeah. (laughs) But none of these were entirely true. A multitude of Brazilians could only be reached by mule, so evangelizing was going to be challenging in that regard. And flare-ups of malaria and yellow fever were common. And yes, Caucasians were present, but most Brazilians were of African descent. Also, the government permitted the practice of Christianity, but didn't allow Protestants to conduct meetings in public. And though Brazil was closer to home than Burma, it would still take three months to receive letters via steamboat, so loneliness was sure to set in at some point. So in reality, it was kind of like adding misconception on top of culture shock. Right. And I'll bet it was a very difficult time for the Bagbys. It was. The Bagbys also had to contend with the fact that the church at Santa Barbara wasn't as stable as they'd been led to believe. The American colonists had damaged the evangelization effort, and there was a lot of backbiting and gossip among the members, which may seem trivial, but can really tear down the foundation of a church. William also realized the need was too great for him alone and requested additional missionaries from the Foreign Mission Board. 
But fortunately, it wasn't long before friends of the Bagbys arrived to help out. It was a married couple by the name of Z.C. and Kate Taylor. When were the Bagbys finally able to reach some kind of breakthrough? Well, the Bagbys and Taylors decided to search for a new mission site apart from Santa Barbara. They wanted to be in a more central area for prime effectiveness and ultimately settled on Salvador Bahia, which is on Brazil's eastern coast. Well, it was a coastal city, so it had obvious business advantages, um, direct communication with the board, and would ensure prestige for the Baptists if successful. So the Bagbys and Taylors established the First Baptist Church of Brazil on October 15, 1882, and it was truly Brazilian. Even the services were conducted in Portuguese. Given the Bagbys' ultimate success in Brazil, how were they able to make strides when all these other people weren't able to do so? What, what was their strategy? Well, William Bagby and Z.C. Taylor knew they weren't biblical scholars, so they simply relied on the Bible for direction. They especially referred to the Book of Acts. Just as the apostles preached in cities, Bagby and Taylor decided to do the same. Also, the two followed the order of service commonly practiced on the Texas frontier, a more evangelistic approach without unnecessary formalities. They preached about Jesus, plain and simple, and closed the service with an invitation for sinners to accept Christ. William also used the Brazilian government's persecution to his advantage. He pointed out to his new converts that even the New Testament church suffered persecution, so it must be a sign that the gospel he preached was true and of God. Z.C. Taylor wrote about the persecution at one point. Persecutions are pressing us on every side now. The padres have dropped their pens to use the sword. Four soldiers who attended the Presbyterian church have been in prison for a month. Their crime is reading the Bible. All efforts to get them out have been in vain so far. Another strategy that proved successful was that the Bagbys convinced the Foreign Mission Board to separate Brazil's Southern Baptist mission fields into three, Bahia, Rio de Janeiro, and Maceió. Most other denominations tended to put all its efforts into one central field, but the Bagbys didn't see fit to do it that way. With three fields, they were sure to meet more Brazilians, and they did. Also, Brazil declared itself a republic in 1889 with a coup d'etat, and William had a unique opportunity to influence the country's constitution. Really? How so? Well, before the revolution, Aristides Lobo, who would later become Brazil's Secretary of Interior, he met with William to ask questions about the U.S. Constitution in regard to the separation of church and state and other domestic issues. Lobo even hand-wrote a copy of the U.S. Constitution, and ultimately Brazil's constitution mirrored that of the U.S. in many ways. The establishment of a republic only spurred the Southern Baptist efforts in Brazil. Wow. Didn't know we had so much in common. Yeah. Considering the Bagbys hailed from Texas, what role did Texas play in their missionary work? Well, as Texas' interest in foreign missions grew, the state's giving increased exponentially. From 1845 to 1879, the 34 years before the Bagbys arrived, Texas gave a total of $9,345. Well, during the first 10 years of the Bagby's ministry in Brazil, Texas gave a total of $77,667. That sounds like a lot of money in that time. That's an 850% increase. And what makes this amount even more amazing was that Texas was going through a drought during the same decade. 
impressive. Texas also sent forth workers, and that was one thing the Bagbys always were in need of, people willing to assist them. There even came a point when Baylor College for Women had more alumni in the foreign mission field than any other college in the Southern Baptist Convention. Did did Anne work alongside William, or did they have separate roles in the field? Anne was devoted to education, and it wasn't long before Baptists realized that illiteracy was a prime obstacle in their effort to evangelize. How could one truly continue to learn more about the Bible, you know, if they couldn't read it? Absolutely. So Anne's ultimate goal was to establish a Christian school for Brazilian children. She noticed that Brazilians were committed to seeing their children educated, and she saw this as a way into their hearts and as a means of sharing the gospel with them. Though a republic had been formed and the, and the Constitution banned religious discrimination, Protestant children who attended Catholic schools suffered persecution. So to have an alternative Christian environment for their children was reassuring for Brazilians. Anne and William purchased a school in Sao Paulo City in 1901 and renamed it the Girls' School of Sao Paulo. So was this a first for Southern Baptists in Brazil? It wasn't the first school, but it was the flagship school in all of Brazil for the Southern Baptists because of its sheer size. It was two times as large as any other Baptist school in Brazil and was the only one exclusively for girls until 1939. Anne even set up a program within the school to train teachers to work in schools at other field sites in Brazil. Before long, though, The combined efforts of evangelism and education begin to cause some friction. Oh, really? Can you share more about that? Well, the educational portion required a lot of monetary support, and soon more money was being used for that than for evangelism. A number of missionaries in Brazil started to feel a bit uneasy about the disproportionate spending, and William expressed his concern about this in a letter to the Southern Brazil Mission Secretary. He wrote, For some time, I have wished that it were possible for me to see you and have a long, good talk with you and go before the board about a number of matters. Some grave errors have been made and are being made. Radical changes ought to be introduced and at once. We are neglecting evangelization and putting the best new men, all or nearly all, into the schools. The emphasis is being put on education to the woeful neglect of evangelization. So there is a bit of conflict going on there. Yeah. Even William had some reservations about how much was being spent on education needs in comparison to those of evangelism and outreach. But education was such a concern for Anne. She was even fretful about whether or not her children were receiving the same quality education as their U.S. peers. Her fears were put to rest, though, when Bagby's eldest daughter, Ermine, graduated in good standing from Baylor College for Women in Belton, Texas. So, how many children did the Bagbys have, and did any of them plan to follow in their parents' footsteps and devote their lives to foreign mission work? Yeah, um, actually, the Bagbys had nine children in total. Uh, Two sons died as toddlers, one from scarlet fever and the other from meningitis. Anne's response to, to their deaths showed signs of a strong Christian with a deep love for God and his ultimate will. She wrote, I would rather my children die now than be even cold Christians. I want them to be a fire with love to Jesus. God grant that we may, none of us, grow cold or indifferent in his service. If I must be kept warm by losing what I love best, I cannot ask otherwise. 
That is devotion. Yes, it is. So what happened with the other children? Um, A third son died in a drowning accident while trying to save a friend. A fourth son, Oliver, he went missing one year prior to graduating from Galveston Medical College. See, nepotism was a cultural norm in Brazil, and it's likely that the Bagbys wanted to pass the baton, so to speak, to their children. In fact, by 1935, 14% of the Southern Baptist foreign missionaries in Brazil were children of missionaries. And it's suspected that Oliver wanted to take a different direction in life. In his dorm room were two trunks with all of his belongings inside and a note attached that read, Keep till called for. And as it turns out, the Bagbys had just sent Oliver the money needed to return to Brazil. So some wonder if he used it to establish himself somewhere else, in a place of his own choosing. Wow. Had anything like this ever happened to anyone else before? Well, this wasn't the first time a missionary's son had gone missing. In fact, just three years prior, the same felt fell upon a missionary to China. But his son showed up again in about two years. So the Foreign Mission Board thought the same would happen in Oliver's case and encouraged the Bagbys not to worry. The Bagbys eventually hired a private investigator, though, to look for Oliver, but it was to no avail. The Bagbys suspected a certain package they received from Melbourne, Australia was from Oliver, but he never made contact with them after his disappearance. That's so sad. Yeah. You know, all of the other five children joined their parents as missionaries in Brazil, and two more generations followed suit. Helen Bagby Harrison also composed her parents' history in Brazil and authored The Bagbys of Brazil. One source, David Lancaster, mentioned that she destroyed any letters that would have reflected her parents in a negative light, but this wasn't confirmed in any other sources on the Bagbys. It can't be said that their efforts weren't successful. Obviously, they, they accomplished quite a bit. Correct. That can't be denied. With the help of faithful servants like the Bagbys, the gospel was spread throughout Brazil, from its most northern edge, really to the southern tip. For one, the Bagbys established a Texas connection, which was critical to their efforts financially. They gained the respect and support of prominent Texas ministers such as George W. Truitt, R.C. Burleson, B.H. Carroll, and A.T. Hawthorne. And since William Bagby was the first theology student of Waco University in 1873, he claimed he and B.H. Carroll comprised the first Southwestern Baptist Theological <laughs> Seminary, with William as the student body and Carroll as the faculty. <laughs> Carroll went on to establish Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in 1908, and his friendship with the Bagbys influenced Southwestern's commitment to training students for the foreign mission field. And as a graduate of Baylor College for Women, Anne's alma mater had more female alumni in Brazil's mission fields than any other Baptist college. Also, because of the Bagby's efforts and devotion, Texas began supporting foreign missions wholeheartedly, giving copious amounts despite financial hardships. So, a unique bond was created between the Baptists of Texas and the Baptists of Brazil due to the Bagby's. It was pneumonia that took William's life in 1939, Just two weeks later, the Bagby's daughter, Ermine, passed away from pneumonia also. Mm. And on December 22nd in 1942, Anne died from complications of what seems to have been a heart attack by description. Baptists in northern Brazil asked that she be buried there since William had been buried in the south. So even in death, 
Their legacy extends throughout the entire country. One of William's sermons summarizes their legacy best. And he said, And though a man may not discover the elements of his greatness until he passed from among them, still his name will be honored, and imperishable monuments will be erected to his memory long years after departure. How true. Thank you for being with us today, Petra. Thank you for having me, Mary. Time doesn't allow us to cover everything in one sitting. If you would like to learn more about the Bagbys and their work in Brazil, the Texas Collection on the Baylor campus has an enormous collection of primary source documents, including letters and correspondences, diaries, journals, photos, and memoirs. You have been listening to the Treasures of the Texas Collection. For more information, Google the website, the Texas Collection at Baylor University.